Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are joined once again by Dr. Thomas Masterson. Dr. Masterson is a urologist and an assistant professor at the University of Miami. He is a specialist in male reproductive and sexual health. One of the areas of research interest is the treatment of erectile dysfunction. Dr. Masterson is also involved in investigating PRP, which is the topic of today's episode. Dr. Masterson, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me back, and I'm excited to talk about this topic. Dr. Masterson, before we get into the topic, can you give our listeners just a brief overview of the standard approved treatment options that are available for erectile dysfunction? I'll do my quick spiel on erectile dysfunction. So five things are required for an erection other than having a penis. Blood flow, working nerves, appropriate levels of hormones, specifically talking about testosterone, relaxation, and stimulation. So most of the medications that we use, the pills like Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, these are the PDE5 inhibitors, they're working primarily on the the blood flow via the nerves. Uh, Other other, uh, treatments for erectile dysfunction include injection therapy, uh, intraurethral suppositories, vacuum erection devices, uh, and then lastly, penile implant surgeries. So those are all of the approved uh, treatments for erectile dysfunction. Okay. Thank you for that overview. So let's get into um, some of the, we'll call them investigative um, or preliminary approaches to uh, treating erectile dysfunction. One of them being PRP. So first and foremost, what does PRP stand for? Yeah. PRP stands for platelet rich plasma. PRP is a blood product. Uh, It's an autologous blood product, meaning that it's taken, uh, whole blood is taken from the patient. Uh, It is then separated through a centrifuge. And one of the layers that separates out from the blood is this platelet-rich layer. And that's what we're referring to when you hear the term PRP, P-shot, cryopis-shot. That's all referring to the same blood product. Dr. Merchison, what is the mechanism of change or the proposed or hypothesized mechanism of change when it comes to PRP? Uh, One of the things that we talk about and you mentioned is one of the key five elements for an erection is blood flow. Um, I would assume that PRP is is attempting to do something with regard to blood flow. Um, Can you give our listeners a little bit more information about what the proposed mechanism of change is with this treatment? Sure. So the platelets are your body's mechanism of wound healing. So the hypothesis here is that in men who have erectile dysfunction, there's some sort of underlying injury to the penis. And that by taking these, this platelet rich uh, blood product, you're taking all of the parts of your immune system that actually work towards wound healing and just putting it directly into the area where there's damage. So we believe is that you're putting these higher concentrations of growth factors, cytokines, things that are involved in natural healing, but now you're, you're increasing that response. If I'm understanding you correctly, the hypothesis is based on a, an injury, I assume we're talking about, again, micro injuries, nothing that anybody would notice per se. We're not talking about penile injury. 
um, but small, slight injuries over time that have a mass. Now, are we talking about injuries in the arteries and the veins? Where, where exactly would these injuries be occurring that PRP would be ter- trying to target or repair? Sure. So what we think is happening is it's repair at the blood vessel level, but also the nerve. So we believe what's happening is neoangiogenesis. So that once you have all this, these growth factor cytokines in the penis, that you're actually recruiting in new blood vessels, possibly nerve regrowth, uh, and, and even actually uh, recruiting stem cells into the area that may be replacing old and damaged tissues. So you know this falls into this broader category of what we call restorative therapies. We believe that PRP may be actually aiding in trying to almost like return your penis back to a state where it was better functioning. I think our listeners are going to be very intrigued by the notion of restorative or reparative. So we'll get a little bit more into that. When we talk about PRP as reparative, um, I think the idea that comes to mind for myself is a one and done type of treatment, or maybe it's over the course of three treatments or four treatments, as opposed to, let's say, medications where it's an ongoing type of treatment necessary to facilitate an erection. Would a reparative process require ongoing maintenance here, or is it just a certain number of treatments and then things have been restored to their uh, youthful nature? Yeah, so that's a great question. And the, the truth is we don't know. Um, what I can say uh, with some confidence is that first and foremost, you have to remove whatever the, the insult is. So if you are a poorly controlled diabetic, you need to get your diabetes under control. If you are, a hyperten- if you are hypertensive and not on medications, you need to get those things repaired first. So if you're going, if, if the hypothesis is correct and that these are, these restorative therapies work, you know, you may temporarily be getting your penis to a better condition, but if you don't remove the insult, you're just going to, at some point, uh, basically reverse the changes you've made. So that's first and foremost. Second, nobody really knows. Um, since this is still in the investig- investigating stage, we don't know if maintenance therapies are going to be required. Um, you know, we're still finding out. Okay, so there's a lot. There's a lot to be discovered here, or a lot to be uncovered um, through research. Mm-hmm. So, how is platelet-rich plasma delivered to the penis? Yeah, so it's intracavernosal, which means you. Know, if you look at uh, the anatomy of the penis, um, there's two cylinders called the corporas that have the spongy erectile tissue. Um, for guys who are on injection therapy already, you're actually injecting a needle into the penis to deliver the drug. With this, you're taking a needle, putting it into the spongy tissue and injecting the platelet-rich plasma. And this happens through a needle, is that correct? Oh, yes. Yes, it is a needle. Okay. And and I understand that right now PRP is really, it's, it's experimental. It should technically only be happening in a lab, although I believe it goes on in other places. Is this the kind of treatment that is intended for men to be able to do at home on their own? or because uh, their own blood is used to create that plasma, that uh, platelet-rich plasma, this all happens under the auspices of a doctor. Yeah, so this is happening in clinics. Um, And you you mentioned a couple things and I'll try to tackle them. Um, You're right, this is happening in a lot of men's health clinics. Um, And the reason that you can do this outside of like a clinical trial or laboratory setting is that this is really an unregulated product because you're taking somebody's own blood, putting it into a centrifuge, you know, it is not considered a drug so that the FDA doesn't have any sort of uh, oversight with it. Problems with PRP are that, you know, there are different centrifuges, different protocols, how you separate it. 
you know, that is creating then you know, different concentrations. There's variability between how much, say, PRP your blood will make versus my blood will make. Um, so this all you know, leads into this uh, massive heterogeneity. Uh, but as of right now, uh, as far as like an approved treatment, you know, the guidelines from both the American Neurologic Association, the Sexual Medicine Society of North America, you know, they all, they state very clearly that, you know, platelet-rich plasma and other restorative therapies are still investigational and should really only be done under uh, an IRB, you know, Institutional Review Board approved protocols, and patients should not be charged, you know, anything more than what are considered, um, you know, the costs to do research. Okay, so PRP has other uses in the medical world. Can you outline what some of those are? Yeah, sure. So PRP really got its uh, its place in the world with orthopedics. And if you look at the devices used to make PRP, which really are just centrifuges, and that's just something that spins very, very fast, um, the centrifuges are actually what are FDA regulated. And if you look at what they're approved for, they're approved for the creation of platelet-rich plasma with the intent of being mixed with bone matrix. So really it's, it's an orthopedic product. Uh, and it's used to help uh, with uh, orthopedic surgery, joint repair, and wound healing. Um, other places where PRP is used is, um, you may have heard this with athletes being injected into their joints, tendons, uh, for sports injuries. Again, it's not really an on-label indicated use for, again, those centrifuges. Um, PRP is also used in cosmetics. Um, you may have heard of things like the vampire facelift, uh, where they're injecting PRP actually into the face. Uh, and as well as it's used for hair restoration. Oh, interesting. I did not realize it was also used for hair. Now, is PRP counterindicated with other types of treatment for erectile dysfunction? Like if a man is using ICI injection, uh, would PRP not be an appropriate treatment? Yeah, it's a great question. As of right now, the published studies looking at PRP excluded men on injection therapy. And this is not based on any concern for necessarily interaction but just that men on, in, on injection therapy likely have erectile dysfunction so severe that uh, it may not respond to therapy. Uh, so far, it's been men with mild to moderate erectile dysfunction, so we're talking about men mostly on pills, um, and that's really the only patient data we have at this point. Got it. So if I'm understanding you correctly, there's no specific counterindication, but because it sounds like the range of the, the expected range of efficacy at this point for PRP treatment is in that mild to moderate range. Men who are um, using ICI are generally categorized at a higher you know, level of erectile dysfunction, more of the moderate to, moderate to severe. Um, so they would not be good candidates theoretically, at least at this stage uh, for yeah. PRP. Now that said, think, you know, things may change. The thinking may change. But as of, as of now, you know, that's kind of been the exclusion criteria, at least for the two, the only two published studies at this point. And actually the clinical trial that we're currently doing, we also excluded patients on uh, intracavernosal injection. Now, Dr. Masterson, are there any side effects to platelet-rich plasma? Yeah. So um, side effects are minimal, but they're mostly related to the injection site. So there is injection site pain. Uh, you can have small hematomas, bruising. Um, outside of that, you know, we have not seen anaphylaxis. We have not seen pain lasting greater than the, the actual day of injection. Um, you know, a theoretical risk is because you're injecting growth factors um, is a long-term risk of developing malignancy. 
Again, it, it's still very early on. Uh, there's there's not even case reports of it, but it's at least a theoretical risk. Okay. Now, how long should it take to see results? I know that many of the treatments we talk about are instantaneous to within a couple of hours. A, a man should see some efficacy from the treatment. Now we're talking about something which is restorative, which categorically sounds like it's not even a treatment um, per se. It's it's more of a long-term healing process. How long should it take from the time that PRP is completed to actually see those downstream effects in terms of erections? Yeah, I, it's a great question. You know, Most of what we look at is in the three to six month range to see if there's improvements in uh, erectile function. But you're right, this is not considered like an on-demand therapy, the way pills injections are, where you, know, you take it 30 minutes before sex and expect to, to have a sufficient direction. You know, this is more of the like physical therapy approach, you know, where you it takes it takes time to see results. What type of ED patient is considered an ideal candidate for PRP? Yeah, so for our studies, this is men with mild to moderate erectile dysfunction. So that typically means men who either are noticing that their erections are not as strong, not yet on medication, uh, or men who are taking uh, PDE5s uh, as an on-demand dose, either inconsistently or or needing them. So um, not the people who are completely dependent on medications, not the post-prostatectomy group uh, who are having almost no, who have no erection at all. Is there a, a protective or a prophylactic approach to PRP for men who are not experiencing any erection issues, but would like to maybe get ahead of what many consider to be inevitable. Um, Could PRP be a way of protecting uh, some of those really vital blood vessels and nerves? um, Or do we not have any data to that effect? Yeah, there's no data for it, but this is where I say, you know, diet, exercise, quit smoking, drink less, you know, avoid all of those things that we know are going to affect your erections in the long term. Yeah. So I know that we have listeners all over the world, but I can certainly speak about our, you know, shared culture over here in the United States, which is, you know, let me live my life, you know, to the extent that I can, and then help me fix the problem when it happens or show me how to prevent it from happening. But let me not make the lifestyle changes that are really challenging. I know many of us, you know, are are, are in that camp or we do feel uh, that we encounter people who do have that belief. So I recognize that if there's a protective or a prophylactic way of getting ahead of this, and all you have to do is you know take a pill every so often or get an injection, there'd be plenty of people who would sign up for that. But Dr. Messon, what yeah. I'm gathering is you're saying lifestyle. You really have to be <laughs> on top of that from the beginning. There's no you know quick shortcut or simple yeah. you know once a month injection and then you know go live your life however you want. It doesn't work that way. Yes, an ounce of prevention prevention is better. <laughs> Got it. Now, Dr. Masterson, can you share if there is any preliminary data that has come out from these trials, if there's anything anecdotal that you've seen so far with this uh, approach? Yeah. So, so far there are actually, there are two published placebo controlled trials that came out in 2001. Um, Both of them were fairly small trials. Uh, In the one they were looking at, they had 31 patients with metabolic syndrome who received three injections of PRP uh, 15 days apart. And at six months, they saw an increase in IIEF score from 18 to 20. So basically a small statistically significant change. However, that may not be considered a clinically significant change. So what that means is, you know, the numbers may be, may look substantial on paper, 
but what you're talking about a, 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 an improvement of a score of two really isn't that. Uh, and it's the second trial that was published. This was 60 patients with patients randomized one-to-one, either to two injections of PRP or placebo. They looked at it a little bit differently. Instead of saying what the absolute change in score was, they looked at what is called the minimally clinically uh, significant difference. And they, about 69% achieved that in the treatment group and only 27 in the placebo group. So early signals are showing us that PRP likely does have a benefit. Now, from our own trial, ours is still ongoing. Uh, we are blinded, both the patients and the investigators. There's only one person who actually knows who's receiving the PRP and who is not, and he is not involved in data collection. So, I so it's not, it's not you. It's not I don't you. have any spoilers for you. Yeah. Okay. So, so we'll have to wait for that for that trial to to complete and for the data to be processed and eventually published. Uh, yeah. All I all I can tell you from our trial is at this point is it appears fairly safe. We have not had any significant adverse events. Okay, but beyond that, you're saying you, you can't really tell or you wouldn't be able to even venture. No, I can't. I, I can't. I can't even disclose. Even, even if I were to look at the groups, I couldn't tell you which was getting treatment, which was not. Okay. Now, I want to I circle back and, and you know, probably wrap up on um, the point that, that came up in our conversation earlier, because I think it's important that while you are investigating PRP and trying to really get some clarity about this, it is being offered in many clinics around the country mm-hmm. um, because there is, I guess, a maybe not approved, but a legal off-label use for platelet-rich plasma. And I want to kind of open the floor back up to you, Dr. Masterson, to kind of talk to what the structure is in these places what some of the concerns might be for men who are um, looking into these treatments. I've mentioned multiple times in this podcast, and I'll say it again, I recognize that men who are experiencing erectile dysfunction, I consider to be a vulnerable uh, consumer. And oh, yeah. when, when men are you know, desperately trying to get you know, this condition repaired and get it under control, um, they are willing to try many things and pay substantial amounts of money to try to get this repaired. So I want, you know, from, from your level of expertise to kind of weigh in, I know you can't know exactly what's going on in each and every clinic. Um, but if there's a, some generalities that we can talk about here so that men who hear this podcast hear about the hope of what PRP could offer also mm-hmm. understand that that might not be exactly what's being delivered in a clinically indicated uh, type of approach or type of way. Yeah. So you know, this is kind of, you know, getting into the gray area of medicine, because as we discussed, you know, PRP as itself, it is not a pharmaceutical, it's not a drug. The FDA really has almost no oversight over this. Now, the centrifuges that make it, that's where there's regulation. So the companies that make the centrifuges can't go out there and advertise and tell you they make PRP for this indication of erectile dysfunction. But, you know, here I pull up a website, I just Googled, you know, first thing that came up in my area, I won't name in the name of the clinic, claims that they're making stronger, firmer erections, easier to achieve and maintain erections, increased penile length and girth, improvement in penile curvature, uh, resolution of penile pain, increased sensitivity and better overall blood flow. There is no references to any of these claims. They don't need to even actually have substantiate any of this because no one's really policing it. Uh, the FDA as it's not a drug, doesn't have to say, hey, that PRP 
was never proven to do this. So you want to be an informed consumer and understand that it's still an investigational product, uh, that any of the claims that are being made, you really need to find the research on your own because these websites are going to be, you know, they're going to make claims to make it sound like the greatest treatment on earth. And they really don't need to substantiate it beyond anything, an anecdote from maybe one or two of their patients who felt that that was the result they got. So it is highly unregulated. And I think one of the things that you mentioned when just reading that advertisement around the uh, length and girth, I, I know I've spoken to many urologists that like, as far as I understand, there is no known treatment out there that will actually lengthen the size of a penis other than a... Uh-huh. Is that, go ahead. Yeah, so unfortunately not. If someone, if there was a good treatment for this, I promise you we would all already know about it. Uh, the only, the only like lengthening procedure that's out there is something called a sliding corporal technique. It had a 25% penile necrosis rate. Just for what that means is that's 25% of the people who did that surgery lost their penis entirely. Um, that is well outside of what is acceptable. And something to keep in mind is, you know, it's conservation of mass. You know, if you're going to lengthen, you're going to lose something else somewhere. So it's not like we can just make you a brand new, bigger, better, stronger penis. It doesn't happen. Okay. So then, Dr. Masterson, to to wrap up, what would you say to a man who says, well, look, I'm I'm desperate. I've, you know, tried a number of things. Um uh, medication just gives me terrible migraines. I just can't do it. I I want to try whatever there is out there. Is, is there a downside to doing this? Should I should I hold off and wait until um, these trials are done, or should I just say, hey, I'll give it a shot now? If it goes nowhere, I didn't really lose anything except time and money. And sure. when Dr. Masterson's study comes out from the University of Miami. And they have a clinical, they have like a real approach to this. Maybe I would revisit this in the future, but I need to try something right now. Sure. I mean, my feelings are first stick with one of the guideline approved, approved things. That being pills, injections, urethral suppositories, vacuum erection device. You know, after that, you know, penile implant is a good option for people who do not have good response to medications. When it comes to these, first look for a clinical trial. See if there's a way you can you can get these treatments without cost. If that's not an option for you, you know, be an informed consumer. Ask them what they're doing. Uh, ask them, you know, if you're looking at other things, shockwave, PRP, stem cell, what have you. Um, ask questions. See what they're going to charge. And if that is if it is something that you are willing to try, if it's into your budget, you know, the then I think it's something you can try. I think the harms are minimal, but also don't expect the world. And you know. Ask around, uh, ask, you know, if there's a local urologist who's, you know, sexually medicine trained, you know, ask them their opinion about the clinics. Oftentimes we do know our local the clinics in our area. All right, Dr. Messon, that was really, really helpful. And I mean, it was great for me to learn about PRP. Um, hopefully these treatments, uh, actually treatments, restorative approaches and restorative therapies uh, do become, you know, mainstream and effective. Um, and, you know, hopefully your study is going to be you know, on the cutting edge here of really giving patients um, the information that they need to be able to uh, go ahead and get the kind of treatments that hopefully the future holds for all of us, because we're all kind of headed on the same road eventually. So, yeah. And I'll, I'll shamelessly plug, you know, once we actually wrap up this PRP monotherapy trial, um, we are starting a trial combination of platelet-rich plasma with shockwave therapy. Mm. Our belief being that 
shock waves causing you know, micro damage within the penis, again, to spark uh, you know, your immune system. And then adding the platelets rich plasma on top of that, you have you know, damage from the shock wave, platelets now being you know, directed to the penis, that in combination, this may actually have a better result than either one alone. Really, really interesting. So Dr. Masterson, if, if it's okay with you, I want to uh, reserve the slot for once once some of these results start to come in and things are heading at least toward publication, if not ready to be published, uh, because I know that our listeners are going to want to know, like, what 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 are the results here? And is this effective? Um, so if it's yeah, okay absolutely. with you, can we can we uh, put a, 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 a holder right for sure. there? For I think this one's going to probably be like two years from now when we actually finish it. But uh, absolutely. We're happy to have you back on then. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.